This is Daniel Fagell, and you're listening to another AI Futures episode, this special Saturday series here on the AI and Business Podcast. This 12-part series is focused on AI governance, and my guest this week is one of the folks who's thought most about artificial general intelligence, in fact, one of the folks who coined the term. Peter Voss, back in 2000 or 2001, coined the term artificial general intelligence with Ben Gertzel, who is also going to be a guest in this series and has been a previous guest in our podcast, uh, and with Shane Legg, who's now with uh, DeepMind. Many people are familiar with DeepMind, uh, acquired by Google for, I think, upwards towards a billion dollars and in terms of uh, acquisition price. Very, very famed firm in the artificial general intelligence space, and Peter was hanging out with these folks in the early days when very few people were thinking about general intelligence. We focus today on where AI governance should be in terms of where AI is actually headed. Peter talks about more of the near-term considerations of AI governance and why, in many cases, he's of the belief it might be redundant. In other words, existing law sort of skins the cat for a lot of these considerations that some folks think AI needs a unique set of legislation for, and Peter expands upon his beliefs there. And then also goes into what it'll look like to manage and govern AI as it becomes astronomically more powerful. I essentially grill Peter a bit on what does it mean for us to sort of prepare for a boom in capability of this technology and what might be necessary for legislation there. Again, this is someone who's given ardent thought to this topic for a very long time. My first interview with Peter was way back in 2013, I think, for the podcast, way in the in the early days where most of what we talked about was the longer-term consequences of AI. I've uh, been fortunate enough to see Peter a few times in California, exchange thoughts on his essays over the years. I consider him to be a pal and someone who I think is an important mind in the artificial general intelligence space and somebody I'm glad to have as part of this series. So without further ado, we're going to roll into this episode with Peter Voss here on the AI Future Series on AI Governance. Let's go ahead and hop right in. So, Peter, glad to have you back with us. I think it was, I don't know if it was eight years ago or so, when we had our, our first conversation here on the program. Some of you extremely long-time listeners, don't know if I have any of you left from those days, will remember Peter. And we're talking today about governance. So, um, you've been thinking about AGI for some 20 years now. Very few people can say that. If we talk just about the near term around governing AI, obviously you're also running a commercial company in this space. Are there any considerations ethically, legally, et cetera, around AI governance in terms of today's tech that you think people should be thinking about uh, nationally or internationally? Yeah. Hi, hi Dan. Thanks for, for having me on. Of course. Um, you know, I, I look at uh, the, the whole sort of AI governance uh, really in a way of today where we are as this really being something that these are just normal engineering challenges and normal business challenges. I don't really see that there's anything super special about AI at this point of time because the AI we have is narrow AI, basically. You know, there is no real intelligence in that. They're basically programs uh, that are written by somebody or models that are built by somebody. And it's, it's like any tool, like anything you engineer, you basically have to say, well, how's it going to work? You know, is it going to do what you want it to do? And what are the ethics of the company behind it? You know, so irrespective of the tools. Now, obviously, the more powerful a tool is, the bigger the effect is that you can have, uh, yeah. you know, a good or bad. But, you know, whether you're using a ledger or a spreadsheet or, or an AI to do something, I don't think really the considerations are different. Now, perhaps it's because 
AI governance and AI concerns sort of get their own funding that the yeah. whole industry has sort of cropped up yep. in that. But I think it's, uh, it, you know, I, I don't see the really the need for AI being treated differently. In fact, I think it'd be much better if people thought of it as any product or service you offer, any technology that you have, what the considerations are. In general, I tend to very much side with that slant. Um, writ large, I think, you know, a lot of the time it's like, hey, if we just rolled this back and thought about it, like we're going to build anything else, like maybe we have to say, okay, no black box for this kind of decision. Okay, cool. But other than that, you know, I, I'm uh, to a great extent in agreement with you. We do see efforts, and one of our first interviews in this series was with um, uh, Kareen Perset of the OECD. You know, we have the OECD AI principles, which of course are very high level. That's not governance yet. But, you know, she had kind of articulated a bit of a vision of, hey, you know, if we can think about this technology with, you know, X set of principles, maybe as hard governance starts to come down around, you know, using the data of people or children for advertising or leveraging this information for, Whatever other purposes for governance, you know, maybe some some surveillance purposes, let's say, what what have you, maybe they would form a bit of a, it would start to ossify maybe in ways that would mold the tech to be more useful. Maybe the same thing could be said for any engineering problem, though. Maybe even that isn't unique to AI. I don't know what your thoughts are there. Uh, exactly. That's that's kind of sort of my point. I mean, how is it different from monitoring what you watch on your TV? You know, uh, uh, medical information that's been kept on ledgers. You know, obviously it's amplified because with it, as technology advances, it has a bigger effect. You know, you can. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I think the issues are the same, and I, I think it's good that people think about it. But sort of heavy-handed rules by government saying, you know, you can't do this or you can't do that. Uh, don't seem to be the answer because uh, there are always unintended consequences to these things. I would much more welcome more competition that people and and better education that people would choose better options. But that that's tough, you know. I mean, people is, are, addic yeah. are, are addicted to ads, or to buying stuff, to yeah. clicks, to yep. bad news, you know, yeah, and. Yeah. So it's, it's easy to push those buttons, but it's always been easy to push those buttons. Yep. Since very early days, it has. And, and the fun, interesting thing about the series is that it, it tends to bring out people's views on governance and, uh, for lack of better terms, politics writ large. And so there's always going to be that slant. But that, that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, right? If we get different opinions, that's why we do it. To what you had uh, sort of just mentioned there, you know, it sounds as though you had articulated this new structure of AI ethics that kind of now is getting funding. And I happen to know from talking to folks in these big intergovernmental organizations that starting an initiative around AI, you know, because it's corporations that fund this stuff, starting an mm -hmm. issue around AI is, is going to be something that's more likely to get funding than starting an issue around Lord knows what, you know, clean water or this or that or the other thing. Right. And now, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm not saying it's evil or virtuous. I'm just saying that that's a dynamic. I think there's twofold factors going on here. Number one, if you're going to start some lab spinoff from Berkeley, you know, they got one of those, Carnegie Mellon, they got one of those, you know, whoever else, they got one of those, right? Georgetown, they got one of those now. Some sort of AI ethics, AI for humans kind of thing. And I'm not knocking any of this, right? Stuart Russell was the kickoff of this episode. I respect his work. I respect his book. Very few AI, modern AI authors do I actually read, yourself included. But yeah, it's, you're going to get money doing it. You know, if you're at the UN, it's more likely to be a sexy project with AI. And it also seems, Peter, tell me if this is too cynical, but it seems to me like there's really two paths as AI becomes astronomically more powerful. One path is you make the darn thing. That's one path. Mm -hmm. That's a really nice way to get some power there. The second path is 
you become a force that governs potentially whoever makes the the powerful AI. It seems like there's kind of two paths to really saying like, you know, that the single sort of ruling force would be maybe a little bit hyperbolic. Maybe it's not though, if we look 50, 100 years out, but it, it kind of almost also seems like there's a bit of a race for power here. If we're not going to be able to race to win like OpenAI or Google, maybe we need to race to win as the, the governance mechanism. Is that too cynical in your eyes? Uh, no, I don't think it is, but I, I have a slightly different view in terms of the, the outcome that I think governance, um, so, f so first of all, I don't believe that the big companies, you know, the Googles of this world are actually likely to be the ones that produce real AI. Yeah, and you've said this for uh, years. Yeah, uh, because they're going down a certain track, they have a momentum, they're like an oil tanker, they're going down this direction of big data, which is the hammer they've got, so everything looks like a nail. And the big data statistical approaches don't lead to intelligence. I think it's one of those things that it, it requires a, a paradigm shift. It requires a new companies in the same way that Google innovated search yeah. you know, or Amazon inno innovated you know, online shopping. You know, it's not the existing companies that get these breakthroughs. And I'm actually pretty confident that we're going to see the same thing in, in real AI, that it's going oh. to be people who think differently about the problem, uh, new companies that basically will, will solve the problem. So I don't, I don't actually have as much fear that the big companies are going to dominate in real AI, you know, in real intelligent AI. And the second point is that I don't think you, you're going to be able to regulate it. So I agree with you that, that if you can't make it, yeah, try and regulate it. I mean, that's... If you're, we've if you're looking that. for power, right? I mean... You know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at the, the antitrust of Microsoft. You know, they couldn't compete with Microsoft. You know, this is going back decades, you know. They couldn't compete with Microsoft, so they tried to regulate them and break break them up. You know, they, they, their competitors basically yeah. did that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree that that is, that is definitely a dynamic. If you don't think you can win in the game, then you, you try to regulate it. But I don't really see a, um, a single winner, and I hope there isn't a single winner, in the sort of ultimate AI race. I think it's going to be technology that becomes available to, to many companies and a few of them will become dominant because they just be very good at it. That's sort of my speculation. Yeah, well, I, I, I respect it. I think the Microsoft antitrust thing is, is one stab at that. You know, I, I often use the Bonaparte Robespierre analogy. You know, you can, you can Napoleon it. You can, just, you can just run in there, better guns, better dudes, better loyalty, you know, just, just, just truck truck the state house and, you know, put the crown on, or you can Robespierre it and you can, you know, get all the small people behind you and you can really stand for the people and you can really be the good guy and you can kind of stand for virtue and then you can chop off enough heads until you're wearing the crown. It's the same ugly, gruesome canatus of power that, that has sort of driven the, the, the most powerful persons. Um, but it just takes whatever means it takes. I'm not saying that Stuart Russell is a bad guy for trying to get into AI governance or I'm not saying that I'm saying people are people is what I'm getting at. But this is an interesting premise you articulate. Two things that you believe that I think are, to some degree, um, uncommon, but things that we should explore mm -hmm. as we start talking about strong AI, uh, which right. obviously you've given a lot of thought of over the last 20 years. One of them is that it's not going to be the big companies that you believe it sounds like it's going to be completely new pockets you know, somewhere in the world, someone's just going to have a completely different stab at what intelligence means and how to get it off the ground. And that those folks are actually more likely to create the quote unquote big breakthroughs than even like a DeepMind or a Google or a Facebook. This is your belief at present. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
and you know there are good technical reasons that I believe that. So yeah, that that is why I believe. Now, of course, you know this this is sort of all things being equal. Of course, one of the big companies, you know, could have a group within them that think differently enough and get enough power. But in in the past, we found that just doesn't work because the people in charge. Uh, on top that basically decide what to fund and what not to fund, uh, you know, they believe in their approach. Look at Facebook, for example. I think it's, again, a, a very, very good example. Google actually had something much better than Facebook. South America was very good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It had a, it had a funky name. Google had that, that social yeah, it was media guy's, it was the guy's The guy's name. It was the, the guy's name who, who yeah, actually wrote yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I normally remember <laughs> yeah. And I used it. I loved it and, and so on. But Google basically just it became as slow as molasses. And, I mean, all they had to do is give, give it enough service. And they didn't. They basically just screwed it up. They, they, had, a lead. Yeah. they had a lead in it. And, you know, this is so typical of, you know, of big companies. They basically do something in a way that they're used to doing things, you know, and, and they don't see the opportunities or those, if the opportunities even arise within their company, they're not given enough oxygen to, to, to basically to actually succeed. Because they often, they also often compete with other business units. So you have all the established business units that are basically not going to support you. I, I think I think there there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, we do see Amazon disrupting itself pretty actively. We see that reflected in Bezos's net worth uh, pretty actively. Obviously, the, the the virus hasn't really you know hurt his cause either. Now that none of us can yeah. leave our house, but uh, but yes, I, I you know clearly there's that ossification and maybe the oxygenation. Uh, not to use too many, uh, mm. not to not yeah. to uh, intentionally alliterate here. But uh, maybe that's going to be what, what sort of gets us the breakthroughs. We can get into those, though. So let's, let's talk about you know, a, a time when, Lord knows how many, how many years it's going to be in the future. You, you were actually in on some of our very early polls, Peter, if you remember back mm-hmm. in 2015 or something. Mm-hmm. We did a poll of yourself and Goetzel and I think 30 right. other folks in the, the AGI, AI space around when we think maybe superintelligence might arise. You know, right. Ended up somewhere near where Bostrom did around the 2060, 2070-ish. But, but who the heck knows, right? Neither you nor me. Mm-hmm. As we start to cross a threshold where AI becomes really powerful for conversation, really powerful for you know managing processes, even in terms of robotics becoming incredibly dexterous and a- able to learn with their own computer vision systems and what have you, as we start to cross what, what we might call human level, are there mm-hmm. thresholds of capability that as we cross as a species, there might be really some new ethical things we need to consider in terms of governance, in your opinion? Or is it more like, hey, people are going to kind of know what's going to work, where however powerful the stuff gets, let it run, we're going to be all good. You know, I, there's kind of two poles there, you know, govern everything, yeah. and then there's sort of let it rip. Where are your stances there as we start to really cross these kind of scary thresholds for a lot of people? Yeah, right. So I do believe, I think all the evidence points in the direction that we will have the sort of feedback effect of uh, of intelligence at a certain point that we will uh, build real artificial general intelligence or advanced AI that will get to a point where it will be able to program itself, yeah. you know, where it'll understand its own programming and where initially it, it'll uh, need a lot of human assistance, humans in the loop, but basically, you know, it, as it becomes more and more capable, that whole process will accelerate. I don't think there's anything we can do. First of all, I don't think there's anything we can do to prevent it. 
secondly, I actually firmly believe we shouldn't. In fact, we should accelerate it. But that's another viewpoint to explore uh, because I don't believe it's going to take massive, massive computing power. So I think that small teams will be able to, to build human level or close to human level AI. So I don't think we will we, be able to prevent it short of a breakdown of civilization, which I hope doesn't happen because that wouldn't, crossed, be, yeah. that wouldn't be a, a, a good thing. <laughs> but even let, let's say we could get enough people to say, look, AI is going to be bad for us. We've got to stop it. Let's just say there was consensus and government somehow got together. I mean, first of all, there are going to be so many holes in it. There's, there's going to be such an enormous financial incentive to create AI. Oh, military that, incentive? Good God, right? Yeah. I mean, give me a break. It doesn't matter what Money, the power, UN, I mean, good Lord. It doesn't matter what the UN says. It doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. what any, anybody says. It doesn't yeah. matter what the laws are, you know. I mean, it's like, okay, alcohol is is not legal, you know, or whatever. So yeah. no, nobody drinks alcohol, you know. I mean, it's <laughs> it's that kind of thing. It doesn't matter whether it's it's going to be made illegal or not, you know. It's it's going to happen. But we can talk about that. As I say, I don't think that's a, that, that's a, a bad thing. But what I find more fundamentally a more fundamental limitation uh, with with this AI moral governance. You know, you mentioned that you, you you get these organizations that get funded. Something that really irks me tremendously is you have people writing books, uh, having whole organizations getting funded by you know tens of millions of dollars, and they never get around to actually saying how they derive their ethics. They don't even define good or bad. They don't define morality. I, I've never seen anybody define how they actually decide what is good and what is bad. And they, they just totally ignore that question. You know, it's sort of like, okay, some of it is, well, just consensus, whatever enough people feel like. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. There, there's yeah. that pooled consensus moral idea out there, for sure. Yeah, but I mean, that's disastrous, you know. I mean, there, there, there I was a... Agree. There was a time when slavery was, by consensus, you know, a pretty useful thing to, to have, or yep. women, women not voting, or, you know, gays... Not uh, having the same rights, you know, or what have you. Yeah. You know, what, whatever. I mean, where, you know, whatever you want to look. So uh, looking at common consensus on, of morality, uh, I, I think if that's the best they can do, in terms of, but they don't even address the problem. And I find that if if your whole organization and your what you feel about is based on doing the right thing, but you never bother to define, well, how do you know what the right thing is? How do you even begin to do that? You know, there's no epistemology, there's no, you know, philosophical ethics behind it. I find that really quite annoying. I guess, you know, I haven't done enough of a survey of the field. Those of you who are listening into this episode, if you're interested in some of Peter's thoughts around ethics in so much as it applies to strong AI, you can find his essays on Medium. Is that the right place to find it, Peter? Yeah, medium.com. Yeah, yeah medium.com, Peter Voss. Pretty easy to find Peter's essays. In fact, on my, my own website, you and I have exchanged ideas uh, in a volume about those kinds of thoughts there. I haven't surveyed enough of the other thinkers to necessarily agree fully. You may have read more of them and believe that epistemology has mostly been been left out. I think that there is a pretty common critique that sort of like, well, where does this all take us? Where, where does this even get us to? And you were going on a thread that I think is in line with what this interview series is about, that even if we could, what, what can we do about it? I'm going to try to um, reel in. I'm going to try to find a middle ground and see where you stand here. So th there's the, hey, we all think AI is bad. Let's stop it route, which 
I would agree that's going to be really tough. The expansion of AI and, and these technologies going in different directions, I think is going to be borderline inevitable, barring that collapse that you talked about, you know, some kind of grand nuclear winter or what have you. But it would seem to me like maybe there would be more interim level buffers. I'll give you an example. So, you know, let's just say that we have indistinguishable Turing test verbal artificial intelligence, you know, remembers your conversations, understands your intonation, makes a lot of really strong assumptions based on what you're saying, how you're saying it's really good at selling you, is really good at uh, handling your customer service requests, anticipating what you're going to do next, understanding your refund like frequency or, or likelihood based on a bajillion factors. Um, so, you know, there might be thresholds where maybe someone would say, okay, well, we've got to be able to know whether it's an AI or a person, and maybe that should be something that should be in the law. Or that maybe using those kind of sales AI on like uh, old people when it has to do with medication is something we shouldn't be able to do because they're just so damn convincing and they're going to be able to use whatever facts they can to get these old folks to do whatever we want them to do. You know, are there thresholds of capability where I'm not talking about some big, you know, crybaby knocking over all the, the play things and saying, I have no AI, no AI. Like, I'm not talking mm -hmm. about that. I'm saying really strong capability to the point to which some new smart considerations are brought to bear. Do you think that essentially even those smart considerations are more or less ubiquitously a waste of time? Or do you think there will be some waves where we decide as it rolls out and we can't really stop it, how do we live with this stuff? How do we make this work? Yeah, I mean, as you as you know, I'm more of an individualist. Yes, uh, yes, for sure. You know, and it's your bet. I, I think, and I think people should have the, the, the choice. And, and I think, again, existing laws, existing structures applied properly you know, should actually deal with that. I mean, let's take this whole joke of a do not call list. You know, I mean, you should be able to negotiate with your uh, phone provider that you don't get uh, uh, junk calls, you know, that that should be possible. But then what actually happens is, so the government, you know, puts us into law, except they exempt themselves. You know, political calls are allowed. And then there's special interest groups. Well, certain nonprofits are allowed. Then they don't enforce it properly. They let some companies get away with it for, for any length of time. So the whole thing is a mess, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. As governance it, often is, right? It's sloppy stuff. Yeah. So to me, it would be better if this was more like reputation-based, where you have certain companies that you actually trust and that but, you know, of course, this requires people to care and to be educated. As long as people don't care and they kind of live with it. But if you could say, I want to deal with a company that promises not to sell my data. And they really don't, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and there's like a, a separate independent, like, like you get for nutrition or you get for electrical equipment or whatever, yep, you yep. know, underwriters laboratory or something like that. That, that would actually rate these companies, you know, or other rating services that you could actually say, yes, these companies, you know, actually stick to what they promise, they actually do what they promise, and that people, uh, people would react to that. Now, if people say, I want to know if I'm talking to a person or if I'm talking to a bot, well, maybe you don't care, you know, if you're getting good service. Some but, people but, don't. Some people don't, but, yeah. But, but if people care and they say, I want to know what that is, and that's a, it, it's actually – exactly uh, a discussion I have with my customers. And sometimes <laughs> yeah. Yeah. sometimes it becomes a difficult dis discussion. They say, make it sound like a human. And I usually push back. In fact, I always push back on that. I say, I think it's a much better idea if your customer knows they're talking to a computer 
because then, you know, the conversation is going to be smoother. And in any case, I also believe ethically it's something that uh, certainly if people ask, you know, if, if, you, if you're talking to someone and you say, are you a computer? It should say, yeah, I'm a computer. You yeah. know, am, am I not impressive? You know, <laughs> am I doing a good job? You, know? <laughs> you um, had to ask, so, so aren't I doing a good job? Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I think in terms of honesty, in terms of false advertising, misleading advertising, you know, or, uh, it, yeah, I mean, selling stuff to old people that are gullible, you know, that, I mean, there's fraud involved, basically, because they're promising things that they're making claims that are not true. And that should be prosecuted. But again, I think existing laws properly enforced uh, would actually should, deal with that. So I, don't AI, okay. I, I don't think AI, I don't think AI is, is, it, really yeah. needs to be in a separate category. If I came here with a marshaled set of examples explicitly to beat down that statement that you just said, I'd probably yeah. have a good duke out. But, you know, top of mind, a lot of the time, maybe that is the case, right? If, if, if it's fraudulent advertising, whether it's a really great Turing machine selling old people, you know, some magic pill or something, or, or whether it's, you know, a, a mail order advertisement, maybe the, the same thing right. holds. Although, both of those are still examples of governance. So I, apparently, you know, you're, you're down with some level of governance, right? Because, of course, there were times when, you know, the people who made milk could use a certain percentage of glue if they didn't have enough milk and, like, just kind of get away with it, right? And then, then there was also a time when, you know, uh, selling investments, you know, you, you could sort of promise what you wanted, how you wanted in different kind of sneaky ways um, that maybe, you know, snuck through the cracks. And then eventually there were, there were laws around what we're going to do if we're going to handle the custodians of people's funds. So it sounds like for you, there are some laws that are going to be important. If you think about for AI, the kinds of laws that maybe support this individual model that, that you suspect yeah. will be important. What are those kinds, the ones that, that maybe yeah. you agree with? Yeah, I mean, to, uh, it's not that I'm uh, against a lawful society. I, I think <laughs> yeah. that the example that you, the examples that you give I think generally do more harm than good. Many of these things like financial institutions, the laws that regulate them have so many loopholes and, and exclusions and, and that, that people have get a false sense of security through these laws. Whereas I think common law that protects people against fraud and damage is actually more powerful. But, you know, these are very subtle uh, uh, discussions about yeah, how yeah. law should function and should be employed. I don't disagree with that. It should be illegal. Basically, it should be illegal to defraud people. You know, it should be illegal to misrepresent selling milk or, or putting poisonous stuff in your milk. Absolutely. But common law already should protect you against that, you know. A, so, I, uh, so we don't we don't yeah. disagree that it should be illegal. Just yep, for how, sure. how do you how do you get this enforcement? Yeah, yeah. Around what edge cases, you know, specifically yeah. would AI require something different? You know, the, what's often brought up are things like for giving out loans, being able to have a certain level of transparency in an algorithm. You know, that that also feels to some degree. It has always felt to me like okay, we already know what the regulation is. And mm -hmm. yeah, the regulation means that we need to know it's not factoring, you know, race or gender, or whatever. So the algorithm has to, it has to be patently self-evident that the algorithm mm -hmm. also isn't leveraging those factors. That's just an extrapolation of the same law. It's not even necessarily that convoluted or stretched away. So I think there's a lot of other cases well, that are probably the same. First, well, that's first of all, assuming that there should be laws like that in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And again, I, I don't know the math yeah. enough, right? I have no idea. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. But, you know, you get a human loan officer and they're going to have their biases, you know, based on, uh, I mean, call it a bias or call it experience. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, exactly. You know, people are experienced. I mean, you might, for example, be you might have hired hundreds or thousands of people, you know, in your in, in your career, you know, if that's your job. And there might be certain subconscious things you pick up that you can't articulate. So it's a black box. But you're saying, no, I don't think we should hire that person. And you could try and rationalize what the reason is, but you just yeah. don't feel good about that person. And it might be very valid or it might be invalid. It might be that the person has red hair and you've, you had some school bully, yep. you know, yep. whatever, you know, the, the thing is. So, you know, it's very difficult. I mean, people say bias is a bad thing, but one man's bias is another man's experience, you know. 100%. You know, you know what I thought was interesting, Peter, is that, uh, Daniel Kahneman was up on stage at the World Government Summit um, in uh, last year. Uh, you know, big focus on AI. I was he's there with great. Him. Yeah, he's, he's so oh great. man, and he just he just like really dropped on the table, sort of the cold mm -hmm. fact that there are some times when mm -hmm. certain kinds of bias. You know, he used an example of let's just say men really being horrendous at one particular job or something. He's like, there's maybe some threshold where maybe that's that's just not. That's just not wrong, you know? And, and of course, yeah. that opens up a can of worms that gets much more sticky. I'm not defending any position by saying this, yeah. but I'm saying that there's credence to what you're saying. L last last little thing, Peter, maybe just to, to eke this out, because obviously, strong AI, artificial general intelligence, things you've thought about for a long time. Are there for you, do, do you, um, are, are there particular kinds of capabilities that you think signify human level that maybe will be particularly significant? for how humans and machines will interact or will it just be an amorphous wave, you know, that, that will just kind of like kind of the frog boiling analogy and, and really there aren't even any particular thresholds we need to look out for. I think the development of getting closer to human level uh, will be quite messy because different people will work on different, different problems. And one of the reasons it's so incredibly hard to measure progress in, in AGI is that computers are inherently bad at a lot of things that humans are good at that are easy for humans yes. and vice versa. So common sense is the one thing that we just take for granted in humans. I mean, yep. a three-year-old three kid already knows so much about the world, how the world works. That's very, very difficult to get into a computer. So it's, it basically is upside down, the, the sort of capabilities of what we think is going to be easy so we're going to underestimate, both underestimate and overestimate the capabilities of AI in different ways. So it will be very difficult to, to really recognize what AI approaches have the right architecture, you know, what, what projects have the right architecture, the right approach that can actually grow and isn't going to just end in a dead end. You know, what, what basically is true general AI that can learn and improve by itself a wide range of things versus narrow AI. So that's it's going to be very tricky to generalize it. Now, on a much more technical level, yes, I, I have some very strong ideas in terms of what those capabilities are that are necessary for AI and how I would recognize whether you know a system is sort of on the right track. And uh, in, in, in short, they basically relate to concept formation, autonomous concept formation or generalization that, you know, the system can create, form new concepts autonomously based on its experience and interaction. But I'd, I'd need to unpack that. And I yeah, would, yeah, you know, of course, it's his own technical uh, topic. A, 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 a lot longer. So, yep. yeah, there, there are technical capabilities that I, I see as 
absolutely essential. And in fact, I have written some of my articles exactly on that. What are what are the things to look for that would tell us that we're on the right track to to intelligence? But you know, before we uh, end, I, I I do want to just make one point that that I kind of teased earlier. Yeah, go on. Uh, that that um, you know that that I said I think. AI is a good thing, and we shouldn't want to stop it. And the reason I think that fundamentally is that I think there's a lot of evidence that humans aren't actually smart enough by themselves to govern themselves. This and is I a really important see, point. I'd love for you to unpack this, Peter, because this is right in I line with the seeing, series. I think we're seeing this more and more. I mean, how do we get to a point where the leader of the world, uh, you know, we, we have the choice between Hillary Clinton and uh, Donald Trump. Tough or, situation. You know, or you could list any kind of examples, you know, how we have trade wars or how we deal with a, with a virus or, I mean, you know, you could list off things that we're really not very good at managing ourselves. So I think we need intelligence. We need better intelligence to kind of save us from ourselves. And I believe that AI will help us make better decisions, will make us more moral, will make us better people. And, and that's why I believe we need AI to basically help us cope with the complexities of life. There are, uh, well, you, you worked with, what was it, Shane Legg in the very early days there? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, well, isn't it the case that at DeepMind, maybe it's just Habasis who said it, but some, some founding mm-hmm. era quote from DeepMind uh-huh. that sort of the goal was to sort of you know, unlock intelligence to sort of solve the big problems or figure out the rest of things. And, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of people that would second your thought that if we're going to figure out climate change and how to escape the planet and, you know, whatever else, human well-being, you know, we, we're going to need a lot more firepower than we can hold in our hominid skulls. And, you know, AI exactly. is a great opportunity for that. You know, maybe some folks would say, well, it's going to be an extension of our hominid skulls because we're building it. We're building it for our own uses. Like you said, economic, military incentives, there's real incentives out there wouldn't the powerful nations build these things in such a way as to potentially sort of wield their their will necessarily as opposed to share some aggregate good? It seems like you're a little bit more on the aggregate good side. And I don't think that's wrong, by the way. I just think there might be different opinions. Is there, is there a tight way to sort of frame why you tend to lean more optimistic there? Oh, absolutely. So um, two things. Obviously, this AI, this powerful AI, would need to be uh, available to individuals so that it can basically help them make better decisions, you know, who to vote for or what, you know, basically who to support or, or, or what to do. And I believe AI will be available to individuals. So, so I see that as, as a positive dynamic. But there's a second more subtle point, and I know we've talked about that and we've had disagreement on, <laughs> yeah. uh, on that. And that is, I absolutely believe that having a personal AI will make you a better person. So even the the bad people, the dictators or the, the, the people that we think, you know, wow, if they had an AI, that would be really, really bad. I think it will make them make more benign decisions, actually, because whatever they're trying to achieve, they can probably achieve in a less destructive way. And maybe a, a simple way to explain that is win-win situations are always better than win-lose. So if you're a, one of these people that you know, if, if, if we're talking about a person that you fear having AI, yeah, yeah. if they have an AI, the AI will probably advise them to take a path of some win-win situation than a win-lose situation so that they can still achieve their objective, but in a way that uh, would be win-win or more towards a win-win-win. 
you know, to satisfy their egos or what, whatever, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. And, you know, and, and the example that I, I, I cite here is, you know, of course, when, uh, when we went to Iraq uh, at war, it was a lack of intelligence, lack of knowledge, lack of thinking clearly about things that made us go down that path. If more people had AIs at that point in time, they would have said, hey, there's a better way to achieve your objective, whatever your objective is, than going to war with Iraq. Whatever the, the individual's objective are, whether it's to uh, revenge their their daddy or you know, yeah, 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 yeah. embarrassment uh, or whether you know whatever whatever their motivation was that that pushed them towards that. So I firmly believe that uh, having real intelligence will make all people make better decisions, even the people that we fear, and that 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 will lead to a better outcome. And there's a kind of a, a related thing to that. You know, you could say, all right, well, what if you program the AI or tell your AI to take over the world? And, and there you have the case that there are going to be a lot more AIs that basically want to have the good life and that will can cooperate and work together. And this is why, you know, it's just why bad guys have a hard time. They can't trust other bad guys because they're in competition, whereas the good guys can trust each other if they have a common objective. So in the same way, you know, even if you got somebody to uh, to kind of persuade their AI to do something that we would, you know, consider negative or bad, uh, they're going to be fighting other AIs, uh, a lot more of them that, that are looking for, for the more rational and better outcome. Yeah, yeah. How many of those analogies hold with post-human intelligence? I know not. Whether win-win is ubiquitously preferred by post-human intelligence to quote-unquote win-lose or whether entirely new paradigms open up that we don't understand as people, I know not. That said, it's a take that at least heartens me that, that there's folks as smart as you that, that believe we're, we're aggregately moving towards something better. And I think that when we can vote for a robot the next time or vote for a machine, we'll have to have right. you back on and talk about how it's going for us uh, and, <laughs> and discuss how that's right. shaking out. Anyway, Peter, I know you and I could uh, could go on for, for hours, like our last jaunt mm -hmm. around San Francisco, talking about every AGI topic under the sun. This has been a great one for governance, though. I really appreciate you joining me back in the show again. Great. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks. <laughs> Hope to see you again soon. Yes, indeed. All right, so that's all for this episode in our AI Futures series. Next Saturday, we're going to be kicking into episode 8 of 12, and we're going to be moving closer and closer towards international AI governance and closer and closer towards managing the considerations of when AI is generally intelligent. In other words, as this technology becomes astronomically more capable, how are we going to handle it then? We're going to be inching closer and closer to that. As I mentioned, Ben Gertzel is one of our upcoming guests, so those of you who are fans of Ben will want to stay tuned. We've got a lot of exciting stuff happening here on the weekends. And other than that, this coming Tuesday, we're right back at it with our AI use case episodes. As you are aware, if you're a listener here, every Tuesday we cover AI use cases and the impact in business, and every Thursday we do what we call our Making the Business Case episode, where we talk about what does it mean to actually get ROI from artificial intelligence and what does it mean to actually deploy artificial intelligence successfully in business. So we'll be back to that normal rigmarole coming up on Tuesday, so stay tuned, stick with us, and I look forward to catching you soon.